0: Well, amen. Good morning. It is good to see you all. I want to go ahead and let you know that we are back in 1 Peter this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we find ourselves, and as you're turning in the Word, I want to let you know that Peter is continuing to encourage the believers on how they should be living in the midst of persecution. Now, remember uh, by this point in the persecution with the elect exiles that First Peter is writing to, uh, there's a lot of persecution that's happening, not only just hardships being faced uh, for being believers in Jesus Christ, but also imprisonment, separation from home, separation from work, separation from family. And at this point... Uh, There's even death that's now included for simply being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so it's in the midst of this persecution in uh, our particular section that we're going to be looking at in the word that Peter is now going to call the church, or better yet, call the elect exiles to continue living the good life. Now before we dive into this text this morning, we have to ask ourselves, what does a good life look like? Well, society today has defined a good life as a life defined as being healthy, wealthy, and wise. A good life is often defined by our possessions and how elaborate those possessions may or may not be. Some would call in our country the good life as being the American dream itself, which is graduating high school, going off to college or into a career, getting married, having two children, and a dog. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, for those of you living the American dream, some of you have already overshot that dream in the amount of children or the amount of pets that you now possess. Okay? Amen. Amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. But the truth is this. No matter how the world defines the good life, even in the midst of our darkest days, seeking and pursuing the good life, We as Christians can look to the word of God and see that God clearly calls us to something more. And so as Peter writes this morning from 1 Peter chapter 3, he writes that the good life is not about stuff. The good life is not about pursuing some sort of dream. The good life is not about the accolades or the accomplishments that we achieve, but rather it's found in how you live. It's found in your own characteristics and your own qualities and your own personality traits. It's found in how you, your life, and your words impact and affect those around you. So let's jump into our text this morning and see how Peter himself defines the good life for the elect exile. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me in 1 Peter chapter 3. We are going to begin reading in verse 8. Now, once you have found your place in the Word of God, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word. Now, again, this is Peter writing in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. He writes, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, Bless. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, to set the scene for you this morning, Peter begins this passage with the word, finally, as if he was about to wrap something up. Now, clearly we know in the writing that Peter is not about to wrap up his letter. In fact, as we're going to see more of in the next couple of weeks, Peter has more to say to the elect exiles living in the midst of persecution. But rather, when Peter uses the word finally here, he's literally wrapping up this particular section on what can be best defined as the principal duties that a Christian should live by. And this section that we find ourselves in First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, actually began in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. So I would encourage you uh, at this point, at some point in your week, to go back to that particular passage and read again all the way through chapter 3, verse 12. And as you're reading, I would want you to notice that Peter began with general principles. And then from there, he moved into specific obligations only to come back to more general principles. Now to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, if you go back and read, Peter writing to the elect exiles, says to them that God is holy, therefore we are holy. From there, he moved into the writing that Jesus was the one who ransomed us from death, therefore, because of the work of Christ, we must now rid ourselves of specific sins. Because of God's redemptive work as his now chosen people, he now calls us to abstain from the passions of the flesh and therefore focus on good conduct. As we continue to read into chapter 2, we moved into how we are now called to subject ourselves to authorities. We saw that as servants, we are called to submit to masters. And we even saw and read as husbands and wives were called to submit to one another in mutual grace As well as mutual honor. And so Peter says if we act in these ways, then as Christians, as elect exiles, we can expect hard times. Maybe we will even see persecution at some point in our day. But Peter also teaches that we can also expect to live well and to enjoy the favor of God. You see, here's the reality. As followers of Jesus Christ today, we will always live at odds with the world. But if we follow the word of God, we can always live at peace with God. And we can always enjoy the favor that only God himself provides. You see, in our text this morning, Peter tells us that the good life that he is about to describe will allow the elect exiles and us as Christians today to live in peace with what is happening all around us. So here is our goal this morning from the text. is to see that the good life is a life lived in peace that only the grace and the goodness of God can provide. So this morning, let's look at the text and ask the following question. How, as Christians, do we now live the good life? Well, Peter tells us first in verse 8 that if you were to live the good life, you must begin it by living together. Notice how verse 8 opens. It says, finally... All of you. Now let's just pause there for a moment because Peter is not just talking to one person, but rather we see that Peter is now talking to the collective group. And so Peter is about to really give us a list of virtues uh, that he wants every Christian to live with and not just live with them simply and individually, but rather live with them and for them collectively as a family of God. You see, Peter is saying that we are now called to live life together. Notice as Christians we are not called to live life as individuals. As Christians we are not called to live life on our own. So if you're here this morning as a follower of Jesus Christ and you feel like you've been isolated, you feel like you've been abandoned, you feel like you're alone, then can I give you a simple piece of advice according to the first phrase of Peter? Do something about it. Do something about it. You see, too often now as Christians, we all of a sudden believe that we are now alone. We believe that we walk into our church and there's no one like us. We believe that we walk into this place and no one else around us is dealing with or struggling with the things that we're dealing with. And so what do we do? We take a step back from the church. We say, I'm just going to take a step back for several weeks and just see if anybody even notices that I'm gone. I want to ask you as brothers and sisters in Christ, who are we to test the church? In fact, Peter, in the Word, tells us quite the opposite. He says, don't be somebody that simply steps back. Rather, what you should be doing is reaching out to someone because the reality is you were not meant to do life alone. And also, you don't know what the person is going through that's sitting right next to you. Don't test them in that way. Don't test one another that way. You see, if you were to look around this place, there are plenty of people who would love to walk with you through what it is that you're going through. And if the people around you will not do it, you have deacons, you have elders who would love to, to walk with you. There there are plenty of people here who want to help. There are plenty of people here who want to pray. There are plenty of people here who want to encourage you and edify you according to the word of God. You simply have to ask. Now moving from there in our text, Peter says all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, honestly, at first glance, this really looks like a random list of virtues, but if you read it again, if you look closer, you'll notice that these virtues are bookended with mental virtues. The second and fourth virtue are actually emotional, and then the very center virtue is love itself. So let's just take a moment and unpack each of these virtues to understand what it is that Peter is now talking about. We'll begin with the first one, which is unity of mind. Now, notice that unity of mind does not mean to be identical in your thoughts on politics or ethics or business or food or music or, dare I say, even sports. You don't always have to agree on all things. However, if the Word of God says it, we should probably agree together on it, don't you think? But when it comes to sports, we don't have to agree. When it, comes to, when it comes to food, we don't have to agree. I mean, could you imagine for a second? I don't know about you. It might be a little bit easier in my home if we all agreed on food. I'd imagine it probably as easy in your home. But the reality is today, with everybody here, we all don't have to agree on what it is we're about to eat for lunch. Unless one person's fixing to take us all out, then let's go in the name of God. But here's the reality. We're not always going to agree. We're especially not always going to agree on food. I mean, I imagine if I asked the question right now, who makes the best French fries? I'm confident that everybody in the room has an opinion because you all eat French fries. And if your answer is anything other than Chick-fil-A, you would be correct. If you want to argue that point, you can see me and the elders out in the foyer later. Unless they think Chick-fil-A is the best fries, then we can talk about it. But the reality is this, when Peter talks about unity of mind, he's talking about being agreeable. He's talking about being sensitive to, to one another's concerns. You see, unity of the mind is birth from relationships. Unity of the mind comes from respectful dialogue with one another. Unity of the mind comes when we gather for common causes. And for here at Southside Baptist Church, we gather to teach the word faithfully and to love others boldly on these things that we can agree. The next virtue that we see is the word sympathy. Or better yet, the ability to understand and feel what another person feels, whether in joy or in sorrow. Now, the reality is, sometimes in sympathy, we can also act. However, this does not mean to become the attacker for someone who feels that they have now been wounded. In fact, Paul, in writing to Romans, in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. You see, Paul, along with Peter, would affirm that we can celebrate in celebrations. Christian, it's okay to celebrate. But at the same time, we can weep with those who weep. And if we are to respond, then let's respond like Jesus Christ, who sympathized with us in our battle against evil. And thus he acted by defeating Satan. He acted by defeating sin. He acted by defeating the powers of evil. He felt with us and then acted with for us in a way that God and God alone was glorified so Christians can I tell you when you gather with people who weep hear them pray with them encourage them if they have been wronged encourage them to go and speak to the person that they that has wronged them and if you're going to act act against evil according to the word don't just simply retaliate against another person. More on that one in a moment. We move to our third virtue, and that is brotherly love, or better yet, affection towards one another as family or friends. Now here, again, Jesus is the standard bearer. He says in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34, you have loved one another just, or excuse me, you love one another just as I have loved you. You see, as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not simply enough for us to know one another. Rather, we need to care for one another. We need to serve one another. We need to be able to encourage one another in the same way that Jesus Christ cared, loved, and served us. From there, we see the next virtue, and that is a tender heart. Or better yet, that word can be defined as compassion. Compassion is the feeling of tenderness or generosity and and warmth towards one another. And the reality is when you you read brotherly love and then it's followed up with a a tender heart, many of us see this and we struggle. Often what we want to do is as people living in today's society, whether you're Christian or not, we want to look upon people and question them or doubt them simply because we don't know them very well. But this is not the type of brotherly love and tender heart that Jesus Christ showed us. In fact, Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, when he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You see, here's the reality. If God can show us his compassion, then as Christians, so should we show compassion to one another. Then we get to our fifth virtue which Peter says is a humble mind. Now this virtue itself corresponds with the first one that we read about, which is unity. Now to be humble is to suppress our desires of being important and to crush our need to put our interest ahead of others. You see, here's the reality within most churches. Most of our fights, most of our quarrels come from a desire to have things done our way right away. And so the person who comes, who hungers for rule, who hungers for authority, is unfit for that rule or authority. Rather, as Christians, Peter says that we should be a people who are marked by a humble mind. In other words, we should be a people who practice humility. We should be a people who practice humility by putting the interest of others ahead of our own, and we are willing to perform the tasks that are less glorifying. In fact, in speaking of this particular point, it was John Calvin who said it this way. Self-denial is a good summary of the Christian life. You see, as Christians... We need to see the call not only to live together, but we need to understand that it actually takes time for us to live together. It takes sacrifice for us to be able to live together. It takes work in order to live together in the way that Jesus Christ has now called us. So I have to ask this morning as Christians, how are we seeking to love, serve, and sacrifice for the purpose of living together in unity and in peace? Next we'll see Peter tell us that The good life not only involves living together, but in order to have the good life, you need to avoid evil. Notice in verse 9 and 10, Peter writes, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, Peter presents a contrasting command to what it is that he has said in verse 8. Notice, notice that what Peter is saying this morning is, is the opposite of love is not just hate itself, but rather the opposite of love is mean-spirited justice. You see, as Christians, we cannot be marked with a cycle of matching blow for blow. We cannot be marked by a cycle of matching insult to insult or retaliation to t- retaliation because these things do not honor or glorify God. Nor does it point people to a place that others want to be a part of. Now, should, be, should people be held accountable for their sin? Yes, absolutely. But it does not mean we match evil for evil. In fact, in our text, Peter literally says to us, instead of cursing, We should be a people who bless. Now again, the the blessing that Peter is talking about this morning could be either a general word of encouragement towards another or better yet, sharing the gospel for the purpose of edification or for the purpose of seeing that person come to faith. Again, we look to Jesus as our example. In the gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 44, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, we hear this, and and, and our natural reaction, again, is to say this, no way am I doing that. You're seriously telling me that I now need to love the person who is persecuting me? Maybe we need to change that word persecution for just a moment. Because the reality is this, in the United States, I get it, times are hard, but we're not even coming close To seeing the persecution that other Christians around the world are currently seeing today. So maybe we should change the phrase to this You want me to love that person who is slandering me? Peter answers the question by saying yes. Now, Peter doesn't say that because he doesn't understand our hurt. He's not saying to us this morning, he's not saying, listen, I'm not trying to downplay your hurt. Peter's not saying to us this morning, you just need to get over it. Rather, what Peter is saying is this, be like Christ. Because the reality is when someone slanders you, trying to match them blow for blow solves nothing. Trying to match someone insult for insult does nothing trying to match someone retaliation for retaliation, all it does is begin to rip apart the fabric that makes up the family of God. So if you're going to do anything, speak truth, pray for those who persecute, and ultimately stay focused on the glory of God and what it is that he's called you to. You see, Peter knows that what he had just written is quite the opposite of human nature. You know, the reality is this. There are some people in this world, some people who who even profess Christianity, who take delight at feeling wounded. They take delight in, in being victims. They take delight in playing the blame game, even if there has been no real harm done. And yet it's these same people who have no problem launching character attacks or slander against other Christians. And so Peter literally tells us in avoiding evil, he says, listen, don't, don't get involved in that mess. Don't even, don't even get an ear to it because it will only bring you down. But notice what Peter does say. He gives an out. He says this, remember the gospel. Or better yet, he says to bless. Remember the the blessing, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus, a life that is to come with him in eternity for all of eternity. Do not lose sight as a Christian of what the goal is for every believer. So if you're here today, and you're struggling with avoiding evil, people have hurt you, have cut you with words, and you're ready to fight. Fight. Peter says, listen, I hear you, but avoid it. Avoid evil. Peter says to us, remember, God found us, and yet it was God who redeemed us in the moment that we ourselves were dead to sin. You see, because of our sin, we weren't simply just found dead. We were in direct rebellion against God. And because we were in direct rebellion against God we were at one point enemies of God. And yet it was God who in His infinite grace and mercy and wisdom and love looked upon those of us sick in our sin state dead in defiance against God, as enemies of God, sent his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to die the death that we deserved, so that we could be reunited with him in eternity. in eternity. That was the atoning work of Jesus Christ. That is what the blood of Christ has bought for us. So as Christians, if we're going to follow any example today, Don't follow the world. Don't follow our our politicians who want to get on social media and just hit each other blow after blow after blow. But rather follow the example of God. Avoid evil. See the gospel. Share the gospel. And don't get caught up in the mess. Peter continues in verse 10 and he says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Now again, Peter quotes directly from Psalm 34 here in verses 10 through verse 12. Now to understand what Peter is doing here, we have to have a better understanding of Psalm 34 itself. You see, David wrote this particular psalm as a psalm of praise. He wanted to to move the people from, from praising God to all of a sudden having a healthy fear or a healthy awe and wonder of who the Lord is. So when you read Psalm 34, it actually works well with Peter's point of living the good life and avoiding evil. Because here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, listen, Peter believed discipleship, knowing the word of God, would lead people to God-honoring counsel that would ultimately lead people to minimize their troubles and their hardships. Let me simplify that a little more. Knowing the Word of God, being discipled according to the Word of God. I'm not talking about another Bible study here. Being discipled, doing life together, according to the word of God, will ultimately point you to God-honoring counsel and minimize the troubles and the hardships you are feeling. Now you may ask, how is that even possible? Because when we are in God-honoring relationships and when we are staying close to the word of God, it keeps our troubles and hardships in proper perspective. Now notice this about Peter. He uses the word life. He literally means life on earth. He then uses the phrase good days, meant happiness. So notice what Peter was saying. Peter was calling the elect exiles to put persecution in proper perspective when it comes to the providential plan of God. In other words, God does not cease to be sovereign in the midst of our sorrow. Peter literally commands that if you want to see good days, then avoid speaking evil. If you want to see good days, then do the things that facilitate peace. If you want good days, then you need good relationships, which means as Christians, we must learn to control our tongue. Now coming back to the text, Peter mentions evil and deceit in speaking of our words. You see, here Peter tells the exiles to avoid all speech that Scripture speaks against. And we see this list given to us multiple times by Paul. In fact, he calls this list, uh, just to name a few of them, he says, avoid things like gossip and slander, boasting and bragging, lying and making false promises, and even rudeness itself. So Peter here, by going back and quoting the Word of God, now tells the church that as Christians, we should be better than these things. We really should. I mean, just think about that for a moment. We hear people slander the church all the time. And i got to ask the question, as Christians who love one another, why can't we look at these folks and simply say to them, hey, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you were called to be better than that. Stop. You see, as Christians, if we desire the good life, then we have to avoid evil. As Christians who desire the good life, we have to avoid evil talk and not just elude it or run from it like we're trying to be evasive, saying, hey, this stuff that's happening, it doesn't affect me at all. But rather, Peter says, no, you need to avoid it. In fact, you need to be willing to put evil to death altogether. And know this about Peter. This command from Peter includes the way that we speak of people and the way we speak to people. So I gotta ask this morning as Christians: do we seek to avoid evil? Do our words reflect our desire to avoid evil and our desire to worship God? I mean, think about that question for a moment and remember what it was that James teaches us in James chapter 3, verse 10, when he says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. My prayer is that the words of our mouth would be spoken in truth, spoken with grace. And spoken for the glory of God. So Peter answers the question How do we live with a good life? How do we live the good life? It starts with living together. Secondly, avoid evil. And then, thirdly, finally, he says this to us Seek peace. Seek peace. Look with me again in verses 11 and 12. Peter now turns his attention back on what it is that we should be pursuing. Verse 11 says, Let him turn away from evil. And do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Now, if I were you, I'd probably underline that phrase or highlight that phrase "do good" uh, in the Bible here, because this phrase of doing good actually appears twelve other times in the New Testament. And if you read First and Second Peter, six of those twelve times are found in Peter's letters. So when Peter's talking about doing good, he's literally referring to the outward and active aspect of Christian conduct. In other words, as Christians, we should be known for doing good and not for the purpose of being seen or for the purpose of being praised, but rather so that the world will see the good that is, being desu- that is being done and they would desire it for themselves. And they would want to turn away from evil. You see, here's what Peter's telling us this morning, his truth. To do good is to bring good to all people. Give you an idea of what I'm talking about. We are a week removed from celebrating the overturning of Roe. That is a praise God moment as a Christian. As a Christian, if we celebrate with those who celebrate, this is a reason for celebrating. However, although this decision was good and something that we've been praying for for 50 years, there is still more good to be done. We can continue to support good with this decision. Do you know we have, a, we have a family or families that are considering adoption in our church? One way we can do good is by supporting them, praying for them, offering help to them, offering resources to them. We have families that are, that are praying and considering foster care at this point. A way we can do good for them is by praying for them, supporting them, offering resources to them, going to them and saying, what can we do to help? We have pregnancy crisis centers all around us. And we can do good by them as well. Praying with them, supporting them, offering resources, which, man, by God's grace, I am so thankful, shameless plug, for our vacation Bible school this year. Praise God for Brianna and the family ministry team and for praying about what we should be doing for VBS. And man, talking about God's providential plan, how about the whole theme for VBS being the sanctity of life? That couldn't be more appropriate. Not coincidental. Providential, better word. What I love about our VBS is we're going to get the opportunity to give supplies, to give resources that are not only going to go to the school, the local elementary school that we support, but it's also going to go to help several pregnancy centers that are all around us. So we have an opportunity, not just for our children to give, but as a church, we have an opportunity to give. And if that's not enough reason, then you should just give anyway to see your pastor get pied in the face. And if that's not enough reason, man, I'm just going to pray for you. I don't know what else to do. You see, here's the reality. I want us to be Christians who show the world that we desire to do good for the glory of God. So I want us to show the world that we simply don't just talk about life. We support life. You see, when we do good and seek peace, we live well. When we do good and we seek peace, we will be a people who greet others warmly and they will be encouraged to be with us. They will be encouraged by us. As Christians doing good, seeking peace, pursuing peace, if we do those things, then we are able to overcome minor, trivial problems. We're able to laugh at them away. We're able to laugh them away as opposed to allowing them to bog us down and emotionally rip us apart. If we seek peace and do good for the glory of God, then more of our friends will want to know more about the joy and the hope that we have in Christ, which means more opportunities to share. So let's do what Peter says. Seek peace and Pursue it, according to the text. Our goal should be to always seek peace with those around us. In fact, Paul, again, I, I just, by the way, I love how Romans just really ties into 1 Peter here, okay? I know I know, Paul and Peter didn't necessarily get along very well. We see that played out in the book of Acts. In fact, Paul writes about it. But it's just amazing how similar they are in some of the things they say. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. But I want to be honest with you for a second. And this is a sad truth that Peter is about to get to. As good as seeking peace and pursuing peace sounds, peace will not always be possible. Seeking peace, pursuing peace requires two parties. And sadly, one may not desire peace with a brother or sister in Christ. And so the reality for us today, what Peter is telling us, listen, we are only responsible for doing our part. And in the moments where others want to give up, pursuing peace, seeking peace around us, we may have to give up on the quest for peace with that particular person. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? Sounds pretty awful. But if you look with me in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 17. Listen to these words, words of wisdom. Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like the one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Notice what this proverb warns us of. It says, don't find yourself getting caught up in someone else's mess. If anything... Listen to people. Yes, people, we get frustrated all the time. Listen to that frustration. Hear that frustration. Offer to pray for that person. Share the gospel with them. Remind them, hey, listen, I know this hurts, but the foundational truth is this. As a Christian, you've got the good news of Jesus Christ. They may not want to hear it in that moment, but it still doesn't change the fact that whether or not it's true. But then the very next step is this. Encourage that person to seek out the person who upset them. And to do it in grace. Do not become a person who takes up a mantle for someone else. Unless that mounted, that mantle is founded upon the truth that is the word of God. That is the mantle we take up. Why? Because, like Proverbs just said, there are just some dogs you don't want to grab by the ears. I can't think of a dog that you would want to grab by the ears. So don't borrow someone else's drama. Push them in the direction of seeking peace and pray that as you hear their words, that you would continue to fight for peace within yourself and within your home and within your relationships themselves. You see, in our text, Peter tells us that we can find the good life if we stop evil speech if we turn from evil deeds, if we do good, if we seek peace, and if we pursue it. Peter says that if we do good to others, then yes, we will find favor with God because we are living out the example that God has given us according to His Word. But then notice verse 12. Verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Simply put, those who seek after God according to his word can rest in knowing that God always has his eyes on them and God always hears them when they pray. Christian, can I tell you something? Seeking the Lord, you're not perfect. Praise God. But you know there's beauty to the relationship we have with Christ, and it's this, that when we pray, he hears us. When you think you're alone, you are not, for he sees you. However, for those who do evil, for those who speak evil, the Lord will bring vengeance upon them. The evil ones will be silenced. Evil will be stopped and then judged for their deeds and their words. So you see, as God's people. Let's be a people who seek peace. Let's be a people who pursue peace for the eyes of the Lord are upon us and it is the Lord himself who hears our prayers and for those who do evil, let's pray for them. Pray grace over them. Pray protection over our own hearts and our own homes. Pray the gospel over them, because the reality is this if they do not change their ways, then the judgment of God will stop them and they will be silenced and they will be judged for their evil action and their evil words. And I want to tell you this today standing at the judgment seat of God is not something to look forward to if you intend to justify your evil. You're not going to win. It's not to be taken lightly. As Christians looking for the good life, do we seek peace in all that we do? Do we pursue peace? Or are we unwilling to speak and work towards peace with those that are around us? You see, Peter shares with the exiles how they might find the good life. He says to them, listen, you want to know the good life? It's found in a life lived in peace. And so Peter says, to obtain the good life, you got to live together in unity. You have to avoid evil, especially that evil that comes from our lips. And then you have to seek and pursue peace. You see, as Christians, we should be pursuing each one of these points because they would lead us to the life that God has called us to live. You see, finding the American dream doesn't mean you're going to find the good life. Having all the possessions in the world doesn't mean you're all of a sudden going to have the good life. Just because you're healthy, wealthy, and wise does not mean you're going to have the good life. The only good life that we will ever know is when we recognize that God is God, that God is seated upon his throne, and it is Jesus Christ who has atoned us for our sins. And a life lived for his glory is a good life itself. So you see, Christians, here's the reality. You may seek to do good and seek peace in all that you do, but as the elect exiles know, and Peter writes, you may still suffer for it. It may not always be easy. But when that suffering comes, man, let's be reminded of the assurance that we now have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's recognize who we now belong to in Christ. And let's do all that we can to avoid the evil that is around us. So church family, I say to you, along with Peter today, live together, avoid evil, seek peace, do good, all for the glory of God. For in those things, you will find the good life. Man, let's pray together.